everyone and welcome back to the Power Passion Podcast. My next guest is Cade. Cade may or may not need an introduction, he's a very extroverted dude. Uh, we're going to dive into the realities of what it's like to be in reality television and he's also got a very fascinating life story. Uh, before we continue with the podcast, please smash that like and subscribe button, helps it out, promotes the content. Cade. Tell us a bit of your life story right. and how did we meet? <laughs> so for everyone that's watching the Instagram story, I love it, man. So everyone's like, check it out. Um, I had a lot of people that hit me up, they like, do the link. So I will post that on my Instagram page. Um, more so, it feels fucking fantastic to do this in my house. I'm super comfortable and this is my place and surfboard and all that. Um, so it's, it's really good. So we got a really nice whiskey here. We got age, 15 years, and we got something else. We got very special from my boss, which is over from Japan, this is a very special bottle of whiskey, which is 50%, so I will be slurring my words. And by the way, I just want to mention, obviously, B of the legal age. Yeah, which is 18 in Australia 18 and 21 and over if you're tuning in from America. I don't know, there might be some sort of crypto dude on your Instagram going, hey, what's this going on? I uh, know nine times out of 10 there's someone jacking up on Instagram, but <laughs> uh, shout out to Ben. Anyway, so, <laughs> so basically, um, uh, this is my first podcast, man. It feels sick to actually be able to tell my story to someone that's um, interested in it. I do want to write a book about all of this stuff um, that I have had. Um, and it's nice to do it in my house. I mean, there's there's a state of me that's like, I've always, um, I've always wanted to do this. So this is really special that, you, uh, that you're doing this for me. And you've had serious, um, you've had uh, good success with your uh, with your podcast on YouTube and stuff like that. So yeah, that's cool. So um, loving that. And um, so, how do we met? We met on the set of The Bachelorette when they were um, auditioning. Yeah, so they were auditioning. So I have two mates that um, that. Okay, so how do I start this again? I've already told the story, but um, so I've had uh, two two very good friends of mine, Blake and um, Kipsy. Kipsy used to be my neighbour, and Blake uh, turned out to be one of my best friends, if not best friends, Jared and um, and Jean. Blake. And um, so basically. They went out to a pub and they're very boisterous fucking dudes, man. They're very um, out there. And I think some promo chick came up to them and they were like, hey, do you want to be on the set of The Bachelorette or something like that? And um, they were like, I'm talking about set of The Bachelorette. What do you mean? I'm not a fucking vlog, man. We have to, but I know the dude. So they, so I get this phone call on that work and um, I'll never forget it. I was outside, um, just moving some cars around, man. I get this phone call and they're like, hello, is this Kate? I'm like, yeah. How can I help? And they're like, oh, would you like to be on the bachelorette? And I look at my mates over and they're like, oh, fucking yes, get the phone call, like, no way. So they're, they're laughing at me, so I go, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so I go and do this interview, and I meet you, of course. So that's how we met, and ironically, we kept running into each other. Um, but for a long period of time, they kept it very secret, because um, they don't want anyone to know what you're doing or who you're about to be. Um, so obviously they, they interviewed me and they asked me about um, they asked me about love and they asked me about this, this and this and I felt as if as soon as they interviewed me they were like that's the fucking guy, that's, that's the guy. And they, they kind of built me up to make me feel like I was going to be this hero character. When in my personality, in all seriousness, if you don't know me, I'm a cock. If you don't know me, you're like that dude's a fucking dick. So I kind of was a bit taken back by it. but. As soon as I sat down in this chair, they interviewed me, they're like, 
All right, so tell us about yourself. All right, well, my name's Gabriel. You look like Zac Efron, no shit. So you're a lifeguard? I'm definitely not a lifeguard. I'm trying to portray something here. It's just like kind of ringing any bills. You, you're not like David Hasselhoff, though. Zac Efron was in Baywatch. Ah, there you go. <laughs> oh my god! I've told this for for before my stripping career and everything like this for a long period of time. Um, so they they made me feel really good. Like, you look like Zac Efron. Oh my god! Like, yeah, blah, blah. And they were asking me all these questions, and there was some super attractive female that obviously was famous from the last season or something like that. I, yeah, I remember her. Yeah, I, remember I don't. Her. I don't know. If she I was. don't remember anyone else that was kind of like interviewing me. But it's very much similar to kind of this. You've got the blinding light in front of your cave. They're probing you with questions. They're asking you about Angie. They're asking yeah. you about whoever you might be in a competition with other blokes to get with, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they ask me, they go, um, so how do you feel about Angie? I was like, who the fuck is that? Like, is that box? Have you seen it? I was like, um, that vegan dog chick, bro. I don't know. She's like, like, you know what I mean? Like, she's, and um, they asked me, they're going, you know, how, why, why did you do this? I was like, well, to be honest, my mate's like, I could sign me up for this shit, like, you know, they're going, oh, well, um, would you, would you like to do the show? Would you, would you want to carry on this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And um, answered some questions, started flirting with the one girl that was there, they were loving it. They handed me this piece of paper, they said, cool, just need your medical and uh, we'll let you know. But I was very confident that they were going to let me know. Um, they were talking about some sales in the the, the hero characters, what they like, portrayed me to be. Um, little did I know I was going to be the prick. So, okay. yeah, like all the people around so they me. They typecast you. Oh, they yeah. typecast you. And everyone already kind of knows this. I don't really want to talk down to anyone that's kind of viewing or listening to this podcast and thinks, yeah, we get it. Reality television isn't real. But I think it's good to get a first hand depiction of how it exactly works. So they go, okay, you're gonna be a prick, as you said. Yeah. Now, take us through the experience of going through that show and how much um, these shows will, I suppose, in a very kind of big brother, almost George Orwellian thing, try to get you to fit the mold. I think- You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. I think the, the thing that kind of got me was my mum, she was a big part in my decision. Um, she kind of went, hey, I've got very dear friends of mine that were in reality TV in New Zealand, and um, the whole fucking New Zealand hates her. They slut shame her, they did this, this, and this. She's a really nice person. If that comes from my mum, I'm like, all right, I'm, I understand. So automatically, that kind of, um, shout out to my mum, love you. But that kind of fucked me up, man, because I was very defensive. If my mum says something is wrong, mm. I'm gonna bat in the corner for my mum. Like, if something is wrong and my mum is said, my mum is always right, bro. So, like, when she told me, hey, be very careful, and that kind of put me in a defensive state, which my loyalty to her and respecting of her opinion kind of fucked me up, which kind of made me a little bit too, um, not aggressive, but just very sure. But it was weird to see how this is something that I thought I'd wanted for a long period of time um, to kind of understand that this is something that I don't actually want. So when I was in there, um, I'm, I'm kind of torn between because I got this very high-end job, I'm 
just working for Mercedes-Benz at the time. My boss is hard on me, my mates are there as well. They're going, yeah, go for it. So you have to take time off work. So I took, fuck, they were like, it could be two months. Mm. So I said to my boss, I could be away for two months. He's like, okay, we love you here, man. So we're gonna keep this job available for two months. Go and become famous, do your thing, come back. So that was, that was hard for me, man, because I'm like, fuck, like, all right, cool. So I'm gonna go and do this. And I'm still in the mental state of work and being as a young, proud South African man, work is, work is fucking everything. Um, so work is very, very big for me. So I have to understand that I'm not gonna be working. I'm gonna be a place where I don't have a phone. It's free flow, they take your phone away from you. Yeah. Have no contact to the outside world. Yeah. And I was really scared to not be in like a routine. Um, so yeah, I guess I was somewhat already used to this kind of attention though, um, which kind of separated me from, and I wish I hadn't been exposed to it before because I think, actually no, that's not, that's not true at all. I think if I had exposure to this kind of publicity before, I think I would have taken it way more to the head. Yeah. Whereas I took this experience more to the soul. Mm, okay. Um, the reason why is because I started off stripping when I was when I was very very young, um, and I was always the baby boy when I was a stripper. But when I was stripping in New Zealand, I was the guy that was on TV. I was the guy that was on the radio shows. I was like the the winner of the ZM strip shirts. Okay. Like a big thing in New Zealand, you know. So everyone was like, this was the the magic mic of of um, New Zealand. And yeah, I'd already been used to the girls. Yeah, so you're already experienced to the limelight before you start any form of reality television later on when you're used to routine yeah. as an individual. Yeah. And you go to yourself, okay, I've got everything that my mother is telling me, um, my co-workers are backing me. You go, okay, I'll go for it. Now, I just want some insight into, I suppose, the types of people uh, that you met on the cast. So, so on the show, just tell me like about the experience. I, I don't know. I don't know how much you can go into in terms of uh, what the directors were like on this on this show. Oh, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Sue me, bro. Just Sue don't... me. What are you gonna do? I'm like a hundred thousand dollars. Who gives a fuck? Sue me, dog. No? <laughs> but all right. So so I walk in and um, um, everything. Uh, let, let's flash forward. You pass the medical um, and you do your thing and. Um, they put me in solitary confinement. So I'd locked up and I'm in solitary confinement and I they they interview in regards to, they, they get you to pass a psychological test. Mm. Um, the psyche is just saying, oh, have you done this, have you done this, blah, blah, blah. And obviously I passed the psychological test. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I walk in and uh, they've, they've kind of, they, they, they separate you. They put you in the solitary confinement. They're like, take your phone, they take this. And you get these little helpers, man. You get these very, they're very beta male, very, hello, sir, like, I'm gonna have to take your phone naughty. Like, they're very, they're very, like, very Hello, sir, let me get you a cup of coffee and a meal. And obviously, I'm going to make sure that I donate to my top 10 shows <laughs> on OnlyFans. But at the end of the day, you're there, bitch, bro. Because you don't, you don't have shit, man. They're like, Literally, if you go out of line, we're gonna sue the fuck out of you, bro. Like, so you literally don't have anything. So you got these little, tiny little people that come in, um, and bless them, man, they're really nice people. Yeah. Um, they come in and they, they, um, they take your stuff and then you sit in this, this like room. And I was in this room, everyone else had a friend, right? And I had no friend, right? So 
they got Scott. Now Scott was a real estate agent. So obviously our personalities were just like two peas in the pod, which ironically, he's actually my favorite person from that show. Okay. Scott and I are very, we, we, we chat quite a bit. So I've logged into this room. This is the first time I realized everything that I say is literally on national television. So I'm going, oh shit. Okay, so they're filming me. And it was funny because they're like, they start off. So tell us about yourself. What are you doing for your work? Like, oh, I'm buying some luxury cars. Oh, you're a luxury car. You're a car salesman. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, cool. So um, what if uh, you were to meet a woman? I've skipped past all the bullshit, man. What if you were to meet a woman that was uh, overweight? How would you feel? If I, if I was to meet a woman, would you date a woman that was overweight? And obviously because... No. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't say that now, man. You can't say that because it's I like, just said it. Yeah, we well, look on me, on me. On, on. <laughs> but like, look, if you if you put it this way, it's you're not gonna date. A, uh, I mean, sorry to go off topic, man, but it's like if you're a male model or a female model, you work fucking hard to make sure that photo is perfect. You drink enough water. Like I've done modeling before. You drink enough water. You make sure you're in shape. You dehydrate yourself for that fucking photo shoot, depending on what kind of photo shoot it is. If you want a fuller face, drink more water. If you want to lean, if you want to show off your body, you've got to get the right angles and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so the whole big thing is they they kind of, I think if you're if you're a female model that is overweight, the only reason why I don't think that shit is um, expression of beauty is because it's unhealthy. Like for me, because I come from a boxing background and a martial arts background, like we take pride in um, making sure you're in prime physical condition to be able to stand like fight the ring. So when a woman is pro protesting, I almost think to body body positive. Body, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's um that's what's been introduced more recently within modeling. Mm. I did a brief stint in modeling, so body positivity is kind of this movement that's trying to make every consumer mm. of you know clothing, whatever it might be feel a little bit more comfortable and less insecure about the product that they're buying because they can't relate to a beautiful person. So it's yeah. gone away from aesthetic appeal towards more, hey, you know, my next door neighbor can wear that. Yeah, do you think, yeah. like, is it is it like deep down behind it, is it all a marketing flaws because they're like, of course. Okay, if these people can't achieve this goal, they're not gonna buy this product. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, so when it comes to, like, if I wanna draw on, like, my commerce degree, man, like, to be honest with you, and you know this from sales, you want someone to buy, but if you have a, a wider net for potential people that can buy your product, then that's fine. Now, having said that, a person might be freaking research analysts and be telling a company, hey, the people that buy your dresses in Target aren't necessarily that hourglass figure. So they might be going towards that. So there's a, I think- a mentality. Maybe, maybe, absolutely. So it, it, well, I mean, we can have difference in opinion there, but, but at the same time, yeah, 100%. But right. it's just about reaching part of this. Yeah, I think, I think like in the brand scheme things, it's more so to be able to appeal to the that's what it is at the end of the day. But the way they've gone about it is because I feel as if TV, media, um, like you're what you were talking before about the news and no one's really watching the shit anymore because you got Netflix and you got um, YouTube, which is straight what you want to see at the time, no bullshit. If you've got ads and stuff like that, you can pay for a premium but you don't need to see it. So the fact that that's dying out, podcasts come in, radio's off. So they go, let's trigger people 
um, into feeling really uncomfortable and getting very angry about, fuck it, all these jocks, you went to school, they all play basketball and they're skinny, but you're fat, like, and we should make them feel shit about um, the fact that they have treated you wrong. And then these people with these big, um, big beautiful women, big beautiful woman they're like but these but these girls like come on camera and they're like fabulous but it's like i would respect that if you worked hard to maintain that physique but it's not hard to maintain if i wanted to be a fat model let um sorry you can't say that but fuck it i'll say it but like yeah, if sure. i'm going to go into if i want to be a plus size model no one's going to pay for that shit because it's not hard work because I'm a straight white male i'm not allowed to have any kind of opinion as to yeah and this is what they're targeting so they, they will put me into a room and they're like, so you're really big into your fitness and sport, right? Yeah, back, back to your experience. Back reality. to my experience. Yeah. So they've got, you've got a um, good background in sports. So obviously, would you date a bigger woman? And I'm going, no, because I, I mean, I, a woman, and I'm, I'm trying to be PC, man. Like, like I'm trying to be PC, but I'm, I'm really not PC. But I'm trying to say, yeah, look, I mean, I don't think I would date a plus size woman. Um, but I feel as if, I don't know where I was going with it. Wouldn't, wouldn't your opinion, right? So I feel as though on a reality television show, now it's been done before, you can kind of think of Geordie Shaw, about a person that's non-PC, that gets the views. Do you know what I mean? Like when it comes to anything online, anything media related, it's all about getting the attention and to be fair, let's think of someone that's just gone out of the political scene, right? And we don't even have to go politics. Donald Trump's a very polarizing figure. So, and there's nothing wrong with that because he's outspoken, he's outside the system. And sometimes, not all the times, um, that will garner more views and attention online. But of course, a lot of these producers behind the scenes will kind of try to tailor the way that you present yourself on camera. Because you're mentioning, you're walking down the red carpet, you're walking down the red carpet, and they're saying, act a certain way. And I think everyone already knows this, that reality television is not reality. But people watch it anyway. Well, I'll never, I'll never ever forget this. I remember going back into the room when I said, well, I was with Scott, and um, I was like, fuck Scott, man. They fucking interviewed me, man. I was like, been there for about three hours, and I got tired, and he was like, what did you say, mate? I was like, I said, said, I don't want to date a fat bitch. Like, I said that on camera. And as soon as I said that, they moved on. They're like, so would you date a plus size woman? I'm like, no. So if you were in the situation, you obviously take well care of yourself. If someone didn't take well care of yourself, would you find that unattractive? I'm like, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I wouldn't be in that position. Well, what, what has that got anything to do? No, but they Which, just wanted me to say no, that. You know, I had a character for but, but the contestant, the girl that you're trying to, you know, finesse, mm. was she a plus size one? No, but she is a, I'm assuming from a judge of character that she's one of those people that bats into people's corners and would say, no, you shouldn't say that because she's, ah. one, of those, she's one of those people that would stick up for the underdog. And I'll give her that. Like, I'm not one of those people, really. I mean, um, um, so she was ideologically aligned with with different values and size. Well, I assume of, so. I assume so. Yeah, yeah, okay. So if she was, if that was what she aligned with, that's what she believed in. 
they were getting me to say the opposite. Uh, so yeah, you yeah. look after yourself, right? And I'm like, yeah, I look after myself. Would you date someone that was plus size? Um, no, I mean, if she had a great personality, what if her personality was bad, but she was plus size, would you still date her? And I was like, oh, I probably wouldn't date a bigger girl if she had a per- like, bang, that's where they can cut you, man. They're like, got it, boom, and they'll move on. So they'll get you to say the fucked up shit, and then they'll get you to move on. So I remember going back into the room, and I was like, Scott, I said something so bad on camera, and he's like, what'd you say? But then I got told, what, I got told what the other boys had said, like Tim and fucking Karen and all those guys had said some fucked up shit in front of the camera. So I was like, oh fuck. So I didn't feel so bad. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. long story short. So now I'm in this, um, they got me to say all kinds of fuck up shit before I was in this. So I'm in this limo and I've got Jamie, you know, Jamie, the guy that um, cried a whole lot. I actually don't, to be fair on the record, um, I like him. I really, really, he's actually not a bad guy. He's very true to what he is as a person. And he was there to get famous and to make money and do his thing or find love. I fucking don't know, but whatever he was, he was being true to himself. And I'll give him that, man. Like, and still to this day, I still chat to him. And actually, he was on a podcast where he said, oh, no, that guy's a lie. He just didn't play to this shit. So I actually, I don't mind him. So I'm in there with Jamie. Jamie's in this fucking fireman outfit with this puppy. And Scott's in this like outfit of like just being a salesperson. I'm there in Baywatch outfit, like this is funny as fuck. So I walk out the thing and I'm looking at myself before I walk down this red carpet. And I'm like, fucking, there is no way I'm being taken seriously. So obviously I do the McGregor walk. So I do the McGregor walk down the red carpet. I'm like walking down the thing like this. And she's pissing herself laughing. I said, boy, catch this if you think I'm sexy. She went, okay, cool. And she caught it. And um Reel me in, so I start chatting to her, I was like, hey, I'm Kate. And um, then she goes, oh, wow, so what are you? And I'm like, I'm South African, I'm blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, who are you meant to be? And the producers were going, say you look like Sam Kefron, you bitch. Say it, you piece of shit. Like, you can, you can almost feel these people in the background, like, say it, bro. Like, right, and right, I'm, right. And I'm literally going, like, I'm not saying I look like Sam Kefron on my national TV. I'll be turned to the biggest dude. So she turns to me, she's like, who do you mean to be? And I was like, David Hasselhoff. Like, just like, <laughs> literally spun it, man. And then the earpiece, her earpiece in her ear is going, and then she got hell nervous. And then our connection just broke. Like, I was like, whoa, shit, there's something how weird. You're playing outside the rules. Yeah, and she's like, she looked over, and then she looks back at me, and then she looks back over, and she's like, oh. Um, and obviously they're saying, Get him to say he looks like Zach Efron, motherfucker! Like, and they're, they're saying the shit in her ear, and I'm like, oh. and she's like, well, obviously you're meant to be someone else. I went, no, 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 I'm not a Like, I'm, I'm going with it. And I kind of got the feeling, I was like, oh. and then she goes, Zach Efron was in Baywatch. You're Zach Efron. And like, said that to me, and I went, ah, oh, yeah, well, people have told me that before. But anyway, but then they cut it ah. to me go, boom. Who am I meant to be? And then they cut her face, and then they cut my face, and they cut her face again. And they're going, say, say you look like So then I said it. Well, no, she got me to kind of say, yeah, and then linked it up to make it be like, I went down there, I'm Zach Efron, I'm this. But really, it was a completely different ball game. Like, right. they're going, right. oh shit, he didn't do it. So the earpiece was going in, I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. So then I walked in. They told me to walk through like a certain way, but I then went around another way. And um, I was not clear on the instruction. I am very um, bad at following the instructions. That's my boss. <laughs> I walked through the wrong way, and the guy that gets on the the first night like walks in, 
everyone's meant to say hi to him. I cut him off. I'm like, hey guys, like, and goes, oh shit, he gets fucking nothing. I come in, I'm like having a good time, and everyone's like, okay, what's up? And um, I'm enjoying myself in there, so there's obviously that confrontation that I cut him off. And I remember it, I'm in this Baywatch outfit, and I've got cameras fucking looking at me. I realize I'm live. And this was the tipping point. I went from being fun, um, happy, like this is a cool experience, to going, this is something really weird. You guys are making me say something. And then I think it was Kieran, that, you know, that little guy with the tattoos that was, um, that thought he was Geordie Shore on the, on the other system. Not a bad guy, actually. Um, not, not, not like a, he was nice on the show. I actually didn't mind him. He, he tried very hard and he, he completed himself very well. I'll give him that. All his clothes were perfectly iron, his teeth were perfectly white, he was perfectly tan, in good shape. Like he, he did well. Like he did really, really well. He came up to me and he, and he, and he said, What are you dressed like that for, mate? You're in a fucking gaver. And obviously, in my background, man, it's like, if you say that shit around my mates, that's hilarious. Cunt, you're going to get fucked out. Absolutely hilarious. And I'm like, Done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, no, for sure. But like, what I'm trying to get to is, um, you were mentioning to me a little bit uh, before the podcast how some of the men within the show are a little bit gossipy, a bit gossipy, they can be a bit a little bit knifey, and it's all a bit of a political kind of maneuver in a way. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So I got this. So um, it was quite funny, man, because there was, so I'd met Kieran and he goes, and I guess he was trying to be boisterous or something like that. He goes, hey mate, what are you wearing that? I used to do that when I worked in a fucking gay bar. And he, and he said that on live camera. And like, in my experience, if you meet my friends or where I come from, if someone says that to you, you can beat yourself up. Well, you know, I'm gonna do that. I would piss myself up. Yeah, 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 I should have done that. Should go, ah, you'd say yeah. that. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm dressed as Baywatch. I'm overtired. It's yeah. like I'm on national camera. And he goes, oh, you'd be dressed in a fucking gay bar. And I'm going, fuck you, what did I say to him? I was like, and I looked at him and I said, don't fucking worry about where I'm from, where else are you from, bro? Like, and I'm like, I'm ready, I'm just like, I will fucking beat the shit out of you, like, do okay. not talk, cuck me, like, yeah, yeah. don't talk that shit. And um, I didn't realize that he had done heaps of work in gay bars before. Yeah, okay. So he had done work in gay bars before, and I was like, I didn't realize that at the time. I was like, I'm not dressed like that in a gay bar. And I was like, I'm not gay, where are you from? And I, I, like, I like kind of like got a bit staunch and, he was, and then he was like, oh, fuck him. And then told everyone else this guy's a bit of a dick. Okay. And then, um, I see. Yeah, so that's, that's how the gossip came. Yeah, that's how it all became. And then okay. like, and there, and there was that one guy named Tim, Jesus Christ. As soon as the cameras were on, that dude was fucking fire, man. Funny ass would make people laugh. He was very, very fucking lit, very funny, very special. I'll give him that. Like there was one thing about him, very charismatic. But he came across like he was very stupid. So that's the whole thing. If you come across like you're dumb, like um, if you're, I don't know, um, in, in this day and age, if you come across like you're dumb, you're a jock, they'll start typecasting perhaps. It's, yeah. it's not even that. I think, no. this, I think in this day and age, you talk like a bogan and act like a bogan and um, are just very funny with the way you deliver yourself. I think then people somehow relate to that. Whereas I'm a bit more serious when it came down to it, because it's a little bit tired, I get a bit moody. But um he was very he was very switched on all the time. Like, like, like always fucking bang 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 super super onto it. And um he would but he would tear other people down. Like he would make fun of other people. Um, and um, he would 
and say, oh, this person's for this. And, oh, fuck it. And, he would, and the cameras would always be on him because he was just winding people up and he would get them to say fucked up shit and he would get these person in between. But the cameras loved him because it was very charismatic, very funny, a lot more funny than I ever was. So I had never experienced that before. I had never seen um, one person go from, and I think Tim was the big, he was the big tipping point for me, man. From being a, growing up as a man, as a stand-up guy, as like a guy that stands up for what I believe in and not fake um, to get the approval from other people, to see him kind of ridiculing people and to see him kind of insulting people and, and like off camera, man, he'd be like, oh, fucking hell, the slut's boring as fuck. Like, we'll just nail this person. I remember we were on this bus and um, he has obviously had to go in between scenes, so we'd go back to bed and um, he would, he'd be joking with the boys. He was very charismatic with the boys. So he'd be out this big last time, oh boys, what do you think about it? Like, oh fuck man, she dogged me, she dogged me and it was boisterous as. She's like, fucking what a boring bitch, like used to fucking nail him in. And little did you know the brother in the secret scene was actually in that bus as well. But they completely ignored that the brother was there. So that guy has still like got to number two, like romantic, sweet, great edit. But this guy's ripping this like poor girl shreds. Like, fuck that bitch, like just going nuts as. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? So like, I didn't realize the brother was there. And um, so he's he's openly talking smack, yeah, about the actual chick, the actual young sunshine. And it's so it's fascinating. So he's presenting himself a certain way on camera. So is he authentically just roasting people yeah. left, right and center on camera and off camera? So in other words, what I'm really trying to get to, do you reckon that he just went for the character they typecast him as yeah. and didn't even like have the social awareness to know that the brother of the girl yeah. on the reality television yeah. show was there? Yeah. So I think, I think it was somewhat funny in a weird way, man, because he was uh, he was very charismatic. He was very hard to be mad at because he was funny as fuck, man. He was a very, very funny guy. And um, actually, you know what? I actually didn't mind him. Like, he gave me shit on camera, and I was like, "Oh, you fucking dick, you mate." But like, that's that's where I come from, man. You know, that's that's that. I don't, I don't fuck around with So when he would say that shit, like, I'd be like, "Fuck you." So funny, you know what I mean? Like you would yeah. always make the cheeky little guy. Yeah, he'd go and then you'd make a laugh about it and shit. It was actually pretty funny, man. Like, um, so I didn't really care too much about that, but it was more so when we would. So we did the first um, thing, and Carlin's like playing the guitar, and, and when I walked in, the the lady asked me. She's like, "All right, cool. So you're here. So we need you to get out of that uniform. So I need you to jump in the pool." I was like, um, jump in the pool, one of the producers. I was like, jump in the fucking pool, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, we need to jump in the pool. I was like, what do you mean jump in the pool? I'm gonna jump in the pool, it's fucking minus fucking eight degrees, I'm jumping in the fucking pool. She's like, no, no, but I need you to jump in the pool, come out, and then, and I was like, no, I'm not jumping in the pool. She went, oh, he's not jumping in the pool, guys. Oh, God, he's not jumping in the pool. Like, made me feel like shit about that. I was like, fuck you, bitch, like, no way. So I got, got changed. So I come out, and then there's a scene of me coming out, I've got a new, um, thing and then I'm kind of turning into a bit of a dick man because like everything's like turning against me man like the producers hate this stuff blah, blah, blah. they're telling me what to do so it's, so it's primarily 
base, just for full context purposes, just so I'm getting this right, Kate. So the producers and everyone that's involved in the production of a reality television show, if you're not playing by their rules, they almost operate in this kind of social pressure cooker environment where they'll get you to conform to the rules by any cost to make sure that they get what that edit, they can get that highlight. 100%. So I decided I was a jug of the pool. Um, and then I remember after that, I was like, oh my God, everyone hates me here. And I went away. So I was trying to make friends. I was like, hey, man, how are you? I was making friends with all the beta males that were there. And they were like, hey, man, what's up, bro? How are you? Like, like cameras are way, bro. Like, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. And then, like, this Carlin dude was like playing the guitar. Like, fuck it, here's my chance. I can play guitar. Ran out, jumped over the fence. I like stole his guitar. And I was like, yeah, the boys love this. Whoa! Like, held his guitar in the air. And all the boys were like, that's the guy that's really aggressive. Like, and turned it back on me and I was like, oh, fuck, and I was like, that exact voice, in that exact voice. It was almost like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, dude, that's the guy, that's the guy. Like, even they were just douchebags, bro. Anyway, so I'm, I'm laughing about it now, man, but like, um, I played this guitar, this guitar, and then Carla was like, hey man, can I get like a bit of time with Andrew? I was like, no, shut your mouth. And then like, Andrew was like, oh, he's so boisterous. And then she was like laughing and she was like, that's not very good. And I was like, well, right, I could play guitar a little bit better, but I'm not very good right now. You know what I mean? So like, I was like having a joke about it. I was like, this kid is fuck. So anyway, so my whole thing is because of my stripping background, because of how many photos are fucking out there of me. Um, sorry, mum, doing like coke and fucking um, slaving with many of women and things like that. There's so much out there that I was like, I'm not gonna drink this show. Because that way I, have this backstory like um, who's the guy from mine who's the guy from mine then? I met uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. has a backstory so of course to be on drugs well they all do they all do like to be fair I mean anyone that's listening to this podcast almost already knows this but there is no such thing as a complete pristine diplomatic person within the political world dude think about it all these people get together they have a way of cutting off steam and and after a while the media tries to out them as lesser human beings and they become subject to the spotlight hey look at the end of the day i've heard various things about like people that are running freaking tesla now i don't want to say this because i really do think i'm talking smack here but <laughs> musky if if i was elon musk right it's, oh, worked, it's working in insane hours. Yeah. I wouldn't want to cut loose. Yeah. I've got no idea what he's into. Yeah. But I'm speculating and saying that I bet he's into some you know, some, some out there stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk to make that head on my But that's 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 exactly my but point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they, because these producers were trying to kind of like rat out that behaviour, so you could behave in a certain way. Well, they, the, the whole thing is, is they sleep the part of the fuck out of you. So basically, um, so talk talk me through that. So what do you mean they keep you up? Mm. So the whole thing is, is um, we stopped filming on the first night at about like three in the morning or something. So they, all right, cool, cameras cut, that's it. We need to get our second shot in the morning. So they get us on this bus. And then they like shoot us back to this hotel room. We're like, cool, it's the first place we stayed at. We get about two hours sleep. And then they're like, all right, cool, we're back on set. So what they do is they put makeup on you. And they're like, you can't move, you can't sleep or anything because your hair and makeup is perfect. They go through the whole cast, which is like 20 people or something like that, to make sure that you can't sleep. So they basically say like, oh, cool. So 
we're gonna do your face, make you look nice, but you, you have to stay away. So that plus the alcohol, when people are like, you're only allowed um, two drinks per thing, you're only allowed two drinks per thing, um, or how many hours it was or something like that. I saw people charging me for the drinks, they just went, oh, you're cool, hey, what was this? And they're just turning a blind eye for shit. So they get smashed. So basically, that's how Jamie became Jamie, because God love him, he's like, he's actually a really nice dude. Like out of all of them, he's genuine as fuck. But at the same time, Jamie, they got him smashed. And then Jamie would be like, hey man, I don't feel as if you're being genuine right now. And he'd stand up for himself, but he's an emotional guy. So he'd start like getting upset, he'd start crying. And then everyone else would be like, oh my God, Jamie's a bitch. Like just fucking going on Jamie. And he'd be like arguing with some other dude and there'd be this big drama. And it was because he was really drunk. But it's because you sleep deprived as fuck. Like if I don't drink, if I don't sleep for two days and I drink a bit of this whiskey, I'm probably gonna cry as fuck. So I decided I wasn't gonna drink. So, so they've got a goal. They've got a goal. Okay, this person fits into our story of this reality television show as the jump, the alpha male, the the win, the sin, whatever it might be. And they go, okay. Considering we got to get towards our rules and our story. Whatever concoction of whatever sleep deprivation, alcohol, whatever we can do to make them behave a certain way, we'll do that. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And um, so we went back to um, we went back to the um, uh, the hotel after the second night. Then we move into the house, and you get these pick of groceries, and then these guys get these dates and stuff like that. I remember being asleep for about a day and a half. And it was exhausted, emotionally tired. I was like, And um, we get these dates, and then fucking, um, they'd pull you into these rooms and they'd interview you. So I've got my guy, he's like, hey, so tell me about this, tell me about this. So you're talking shit, you're having a good time, and then I say, so what do you, what do you, Kate, think about Tim? And when I got asked that, I was like, there is no fucking way, like, I'm ever gonna badmouth another male to you if I'm not gonna do it to his face. And that's what fucked me up. Because they asked me, so what do you think about Tim? And I went, I, and I said to the guy on camera, I said, I am not gonna badmouth another man to their face. I will 100% badmouth someone, but unless it's to their face, I'm not doing it. So you- Because the final product's out there. They're looking for that moment where you're badmouthing that other person. So it's up on national television, and you know, forthrightly that you've generally gone on with that person behind the scenes, so you're like, nah, I might not have gone on. But that's your principle. As, as, a, a, as a man, yeah, that's my principle. So they would say, I, um, so when Tim did this, or when Carla did this, or when um, Jack, or whatever the fuck their names are, when he did this, how did that make you feel? Did you think that was right what he did? And I would go, I don't care, and I would go, don't care. Like, and that was my thing. You see me in the first episode, I'm killing it, I'm causing shit, I'm having a fucking nightmare of a good time. Yeah. And then the second episode, you can literally see me in the background falling asleep. No. Osha comes out and he goes, gentlemen, Angie is here. And I remember like one of the boys said something hell fucking bad to him. Um, he was like, oh, I'm not gonna say who it was, but he was like, oh, Osha, I bet you fuck all the girls or something like that. And he goes, he stops so professional and he goes, no. Do you know why? Because I'm a fucking professional. And then everyone goes, ooh, and like nails him. And like goes like, yeah, bro, you're the man. And I'm watching this in front of me going, why are you looking at this dude's ass, bro? Like, who gives a fuck, man? You know what I mean? Like, and these people are like, 
holding him down and stuff. And I remember just being bored as in this fucking episode. And um, every time I'd get time with that that girl, what was it? And, and she Thank would um, she would ask me questions, but there was something that wasn't right about it. There was something that was very free, uh, free flowing um, and understanding of certain people. But you can understand when someone is not quite all there. Not genuine. Yeah, not all there. Okay. No, no, but not genuine. Like I oh, felt yeah. like as if I was like, I'm like, uptight, hey? No, not uptight, but more, more so just um, just distant. Distant. So there was natural flows of certain people just said me. Ah. I've never had a problem with women in my past, but uh, there was something that was there. She, she wasn't quite... I'd laugh with her and I'd see her... She's very... I would say not a superficial person, but I'd say I'd see her... I'd see her checking me out when the camera was not just like... Like, not to lie, man, but there weren't that many people with most of my season, but... <laughs> She'd, she'd be making eyes, she'd be like, oh. and I'd, I'd go, and she liked me, but that could have been fake. Completely differently when the camera. Well, that was the thing with the other boys. Okay. They would act completely. As soon as the camera was rolling, man, like, all the boys would completely change, man. And yeah. that was what fucked me up. Because the camera would be on, and they're going, what do you want to say about this person? I'd go, yeah, no, I'm not going to badmouth that person. Um, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And they go, oh, you can't look bad enough. That's fine, no worries. So we're about to you grow up and then make you feel like shit. Um, to get you to badmouth these people. If I played that game, I would I would have, you know, 200 fucking people looking at my Instagram, yeah. giving a fuck about what I'm doing. Oh. Um, but to see it for what it was, and maybe it's because I had the exposure before I did the show, maybe I was a little bit used to it, so I kind of took it for granted but I didn't play into the game. And I could literally go on the record saying that Jamie said Adam and Cade were the two people that just didn't play the game. Which is funny because I was one of the people that was a big deal on the first show, on the first episode. He was like the girl that was nuts. But I didn't play into the game that they asked me to play to. That makes sense. That makes conclusions. We've, we've talked a lot about this reality and some of this, right? And I feel like we should get back to actual reality. Because you've got an interesting life story beyond the reality television set. Now, tell me a bit about what it was like growing up in South Africa, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I, got, I, got, I got one more, I got one more bomb dig. Okay, go, go, go on. One go. more bomb dig that I want to Take it What's up? What's up? One more bomb dig, baby. So, like, put it this way. So, my last, um, my last experience on the show is I got to the third, fourth episode or something like that, and. Um, so I couldn't really handle what was what was all happening and like no disrespect to the guys. Like they were they were they were just doing them and those people that became successful from it. Yeah. I'm in this last room where you're in the you're in the boat thing and they, they, they stop you and then they say, all right, cool. So Kate or Mitch or whatever it is. And I'm looking at this um, this guy that said two words to Angie, he was um, Hayden or something like that. And, he was a firefighter and he maybe said three words to the, to the, to the lady. And I'm standing next to him and they put me in the bottom, like three or something. And I'm looking at him and I was like, there's no way I'm going to no fucking way. What are you talking about? Like, it just says, just like, I felt as if a girl was bigger between me and him that picked me. Like, maybe that's just me being superficial. Maybe I guess you're too much part of it. But I think it's because I was. Yeah, I wasn't playing the game yet. So I'm sitting yeah. there in the corner. And they're going, 
Like, and they, they literally, yeah. they turn, I'm like, look at this picture, and I'm like, oh, fuck. So, then they interview me, and they go, all right, cool, so how do you feel? And I was like, yeah, I feel all right, like, not bad, like, so, yeah. Anyway, so I decided, um, so they put me in this hotel room, and then the, and this is the big thing, this is the big fucking bomb, so, gone. They put me in this fucking hotel, what am I here to we're about to break into the uh, real expensive By the way, this is just a bit of a shameless plug here. Like and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you're sharing this uh, with your friends. If not, I will be out there on the streets of first being a social line talking about this one. The microphone, of course. Um, okay, so at the end of the yeah, so at the end of the experience, I was in a um, in a room and they put myself and they put um, the other guy that got eliminated was a guy called Mitch, last guy, I actually got um, And we're in these, this hotel room, this hotel room, and I really wanted to see my mum. Like I, my mum was in New Zealand and I lived in Perth and I said, can I please, instead of getting a plane to get back to Perth, I've still got a little bit of time off work. Do you mind if I fly to Sydney? And went, yeah, yeah, sure. So imagine you're in a sales job or something and a customer complains. Yeah. And you're like, you're kind of like, yeah, no worries. No, and you put it to the side. I said, please, may I go back to, may I go to Sydney to go to see my mum or Matt, I'm sorry, uh, Melbourne to go see my mum. You change our plane ticket. Yeah. Right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll see what we can do. So my plane's about to take off and they go, yeah, sorry, Kate, um, there's nothing we can do. Um, we can't change your plane ticket. You have to go on that plane. Because you're still on their contract. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. In, I'm in Sydney. Now they want me to, they've got a plane to put me back to Perth. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sad. Of course. Like, I want to see my mum. So, but they're so bad keeping everything under wraps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're like, no, you're going back to Perth. So I'm like, all right, fuck you. So what I did is I, I um, the, the psychologists are very worried about you killing yourself. That's like the number one big thing they're worried about. They're like, it doesn't matter as long as you don't kill yourself. So I went, all right. So I went on this experience. I was like, you know, fuck all. This fucking shit TV show with all these people that I do not like. I like a couple of them, eh? Like, I wish I was on the season after that because those guys are fucking good fun. Shout out to all the guys that were on the season after that because you guys are like fucking gangsters. True, we're going to a fucking Sydney boy. Yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, they they put me on this um, they're trying to put me on this plane, and um, I go, all right, well, all right, well, I don't want to go there, so I missed my flight, and because I hadn't drank alcohol on the um, on the on the show, um, I was kind of still playing that relapse card. I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm, 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 if shit comes out, I'm, I've got to I've got to rub it down in junior story. Do you know what I mean? Okay, okay. So that, that, that was that was your get out of jail card. To yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. Because you because you're being sleep deprived on the show, mm. and you don't want to drink. You you worked it out. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, so you're like, okay, I get the game you're playing. I'm not going to drink an alcoholic beverage because I know that one, you sleep deprived of mm. Two, I know exactly the way in which this is going to work. Yeah. So I don't care who bats their eyelids, you know, eyelids yeah, yeah, yeah. at me or yeah, whatever yeah. it might be, or move the house that lives at me. I'm not going to drink. So that's just a cliche thing. Like, for example, I, um, I remember, dude, when I was growing up, man, 18 year old on the club and bar in Perth. I would just constantly go on about, yeah, nah, family of alcoholics. Yeah, Because yeah. that's your backstory. Yeah. That's your get out of jail card to not look like a wimp in front of like another guy and say, 
you don't drink, mate. Yeah. You don't drink, mate. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I think it was more so that I didn't want to drink because one, um, if someone had pissed me off, I would have been the shit out of me. That's that's as ah. a as a as a point. Yeah, so you're aware of the fact that yeah, 100%. XYZ together with Plato or Mega or whatever the heck yeah. that equation leads to something like that. Well I think I think a lot of um, I think a lot of the thing is like because of uh, martial arts background being like a like a serious boxer, I think when the guys start to know about a bit more of that, like even though all these guys are still in fights now, like I'm trying to, I'm like, hey boys, does anyone want to fight me? They're like, nah, nah, we'll fight each other, we're not fighting you. So like, yeah. my, my thing is I don't want to get drunk and just go, hey, fuck you, and then get upset and then get emotionally um, connected to this shit and then like like get into a confrontation because they were making it like a dick. So the whole non-alcohol thing. So I meant to fly to Perth and I said, look, uh, I want to find Perth. I want to go back to Melbourne and see my mum. And they went, oh, no, 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 no. sorry, you're going to have to go back to Perth. So I went, all right, fuck it. So I missed the flight to Perth. I bought myself a ticket to Melbourne. And I went and go saw me mum. Like, I, I called one of my best mates. I said, Gene, I'm rocking up on your couch. She's like, the fuck? I was like, oh, dude, I'm rocking up on your couch. Because I was like, yeah, cool. So we had a good time. We met up. We had a couple of beers. We hadn't seen each other in fucking six months or eight months or something. Yeah. Because you, in your mind, you're like, okay, these are producers. Yeah. These people know that they want to keep anything under wraps of the shine. This person's telling them on their phone, don't fly to see you, mum. But at the Basically, same time, you're yeah. like, you're like, what are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. Do they know the National Guard? Like, seriously. So they're, they're trying to get me to fly back. So I go, yeah. mum, come meet me. I've yeah. just been evicted from reality television. She's like, oh my baby, I've got to see you for money. So she, she comes and she comes and flies over. So I'm having the best time I'm like fucked up. Mm-hmm. And um I'm like, this is the first time I'm like drinking. Yeah, okay. And uh, then they call me and they're like, okay, you missed your flight. And I told them fucking um the council, I was like, I've relapsed, I've decided to get back into drugs because the show had made me so fucked <laughs> up. And I'm not gonna be able to look back on my horrible past. I think I'm gonna kill myself. And they're like, oh shit! <laughs> like they are freaking the fuck out. I'm over here just having the best time of my face. Like you are not gonna believe this backstory. That sounds like the most out there white line in the Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 Literally, yeah. I'm in the, I'm on the best of the world. Fuck yeah, Jane, I'm ages. Love me. Like having the best time, and they're going. This dude is literally gonna kill himself. He did not drink on the show. Now he's on the beers again. He's got missing. Oh fuck, we're getting sued. So they're trying to find me, man. They're like contacting my partner. They're contacting um, my mum. They're contacting everyone to try and get hold of me. Yeah. And my dad, being my dad, is like, they're like, hello, Mr. Wick. He's like, yo, what do you want? And they're like, your son has gone missing. I was like, yo, he goes missing all the time. What are you talking about? And they're like, no. <laughs> like, but I think he might kill himself. He's like, kill himself. No, you're in the bitch, bro. Fuck, and he would hang up the phone. <laughs> My partner picked up the phone and go, hey, um, you've gone missing. I was like, yeah, just go and she's like, got you. Yeah, no, I think he's going to kill himself. Like, and they were freaking out. So anyway, so I did my whole thing because I realized if I went come, like off the rails, they're not going to edit me looking like shit. They're going to go, holy fuck, this dude richly might kill himself. Oh my God. So they didn't edit me that bad. They could have done it a whole lot worse, man. They could have done it so much worse. But at the end of the day, I looked at that thing and I was like, oh, I actually come across like pretty funny. Like I'm all right with that. Like I don't care. So the council finally gets hold of me and she goes, Kate, 
are you okay? Like, are you right? And I said, look, you're a really nice person. I don't believe what you're doing is right. Um, I'm never going to kill myself. It's not my cup of tea. Um, I said that because I wanted you guys to take it easy on me for the editing. And I appreciate that, but um, you know, I was going through a hard time, but um, I'm okay. I appreciate that. You know what I love about that story? <laughs> I want to put you up on this. So everyone knows the TV show Friends. Yeah. Yeah. Chandler Bing. Yeah. One of the funniest freaking guys on that show. I'm pretty sure had an addiction to drugs after the show. Mm. So what I love is really got skinny. What I love about your white lie tape is it in full disclosure terms, you were like, okay, so what is something they're trying to avoid? How can I be treated fairly? You're just like, okay, how do I think of the celebrity that's completely gone, lost touch of reality, touch of reality, drugs and alcohol, done that. So you just give them exactly what they want to hear. Exactly, my man. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, because you I got you got experience in sales, man. And you've got other life stories beyond reality television. Would you like to speak about that? I will. I will. Yeah, sure. And the, uh, the last thing, the. Yeah, go on, go. Keep the going. last thing on counseling, she told her, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And uh, I really want to listen to I want this part of it. I'm going to say, man, that's the end of shit. I talked to her on the phone, I said, you're really nice to me. Like, uh, it's just me. I think it's wrong. But um, I want to help people maybe. And um, they're preying on people's insecurities to be able to get somewhat instant gratification and affection from um, something that they might have missed out. For me personally, you don't have to be super poor to realize that my childhood needed that instant gratification. I wanted to be famous from the day I was born, but I was more of a man to never ever um, jeopardize my integrity, my manhood to get that. So I might not be famous now, but I'm still more of a man than me than I've always been. So that's that's something that I'm proud of. And I, I said to her, and I said, yeah, I like I'm not going to do And I don't have a drug problem. What's, what's just, just, you know what she said? You know what she said? Go, go, go. She said, oh, no one's ever done that before. I'm kind of taken back. Uh, I need a moment. And she hung up the phone. And she was just, she messaged me after. She was like, I, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> like, and she probably, uh, uh, honestly, after that, I would not be diagnosed. And I would be not surprised if I was diagnosed as a complete sociopath. I'm very curious because you were saying earlier that you don't want to like jeopardize uh, who you are as a person and your manhood, right? Now, I'm very curious to know the percentage of the gender split. The gender split with these reality television shows. So, is it more like a 60 percent female, 40 percent male. What I'm really trying to get at directly, Kate, is do you believe that these reality television shows are promoting the type of male that the female directors want to promote as the ideal male? Not what a female will necessarily select through their friendship circle, through a sports and recreation activity, at a bar, do you get what I'm saying? Do you reckon that they're presenting a certain type of male to the public rather than what a woman actually might naturally be attracted to? At the end of the day, a woman wants a man. And um, maybe that's a that's such a broad opinion. There's so many ways that you could attack a man. What is a man? Mm. Um, and if you question that, you say, well, what 
is to manage. Is, um, to me, is to be able to display five uh, five um, aspects of humanity. One is the willingness to emote. So if you stand on my foot, I go, okay, I'll just stand on my foot. Two, protector of loved ones, care of loved ones. Number three, pre-selected by other females, right? And that's something that I was massively um, subject to when I was uh, stripping. That was, that was huge. Even after the show, um, leader of men and um, willing to be able to take risks. That's five things that I believe that is what um, makes you not a man, but makes you attractive. Mm. So if I was, and I remember, there was a scene in that second episode um, where this guy, what was his name? James or something? He said something really um, chauvinistic uh, to Angie and then everyone blew up and he was meant to be this like, counselor or, or, or some shit in uh, the media. Yeah, it was, it was in politics. The aesthetic individual person that listens to everyone's problems. No, no, he was, he portrayed as a complete asshole. Oh, all oh, of Australia fucking oh, hated okay, this guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so literally all of Australia hated this guy. And what happened was they were in a, um, a situation where um, he was cracking jokes. So, like, it was actually quite funny. I think if he was a young, attractive, um, really buff guy, he would have got away with it. So Angie was like on his back and he was like, oh, ride me. And he was dressed as a cow and she's dressed as a farmer and he's like, Ooh, ride me like as in like a cow ride a cow or like and then she was like ha, 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 like and then maybe felt uncomfortable with it but if it were me i don't think i would have gotten the same kind of backlash because i was like well ride me darling you know it would be more funny but because he was um, uh, um uh, less attractive than what the tv would be they went for it yeah and i remember sitting there and this this is the one thing that got me bro like i remember sitting there on the show so they're trying to sorry for that keep going with what you're about to say but uh, so they're trying to promote the outlier the minority that type of guy that might not necessarily always in reality get women yeah so they made him look like a pedophile basically so they made him look like either a pedophile or a rapist or a Jesus. Uh, yeah, no, that made him look like shit. He lost his job. There were people protesting against him and stuff like that. And that's actually why I like Jamie because yeah. Jamie went and hung out with him. Like, Jamie's the guy that was like meant to be the dick on the show. Yeah. But he was like hanging out with him, like, hey man. Like, just went and like got lunch with him. Because that guy was actually, to be fair, I, I think his name was Jamie as well, but he was actually really funny. He was a very witty, very funny guy. And he made us laugh when he was on camera. Yeah, yeah. And the guy that won it, Carlin or whatever, mm. um, the guy that did all the injections. He um, he basically, there was no speak of what happened. It was just like, it was a really funny time. Everyone had a good time. The date was awesome. He won the date, rah, rah, rah. And then we're on camera. And then he goes, he sits down. And as soon as the camera's looking, he's like, hey man. Like, I almost wanna, I almost wanna feel like, this is how we put it and talk. He didn't talk like this, but it's like, hey man, I'm like really uncomfortable with the way that you made Angie feel, bro. Like, you're on top of her. And she was telling you to ride him. So this is like that his, makes this me is like his subconscious. Yeah, he's just talking shit. I'm like, what are you yeah. doing? He's like, yeah. that made me, made me really uncomfortable, man. Yeah, and I'm sitting there. I haven't even been on the stage. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's going, I, I didn't mean any kind of disrespect. He's on camera getting called like a fucking woman toucher on camera. And he's like, I didn't mean any kind of disrespect. And I'm sitting there in the middle of him. And I'm like, I'm looking at the guy that's saying this. It's like, you're a fuckwit, bro. And he's like, yeah, man, that made me really uncomfortable. And I was bro, you're like, how, how dare you fucking come up with such a camera's wrong? Yeah, as soon as the camera's rolling, he's like, that made me really uncomfortable. 
comfortable, man. Like, I guarantee you, if you were in front of the boys and there was a fucking half good looking dude and he was one of your friends and she was flirting with him maybe and he said something back and she wasn't a couple and she loved it, that would have got let go. But the thing is, he said that when it was a situation where I'm like, come on, dude, why are you saying that, man? Like, what's wrong with you, bro? Like, why couldn't you say that when you're off camera? But you want to say that when you're on camera? Are you serious? Yeah. And like to me, I didn't resonate well with that because I was like, if you call him out, call him up as a man off camera and then do it again on camera. Don't just wait until he's in the spotlight and then go make a big drama so everyone else jumps in like vultures, man. Like, yeah, man, that's super freaky, bro. Like, and then like everyone was going against this guy like it was a pack of wolves yeah. against one guy. Just like when Wazza left, yeah. he wasn't comfortable being a chicken. Yeah. Who shouted was a great guy, but he wasn't. He was like, "Fuck this, man! I don't want to be a chicken. I don't want to be a laughing stock. This is bullshit. I don't want to do it." And he said to everyone before he left the show, "He's like, I just want everyone to, um, I just want everyone to respect my opinion to leave. Please don't call me out on camera." And everyone's like, "Man, no worries, bro. I'll, hey, listen, look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise you, I'm not gonna take you out on camera, right? You cool? Hey, you good? You good? Don't worry about it." As soon as he's like, guys, I'm about to leave, Matt, fucking BMX King or whatever the fuck his name is. And he goes, boxing match, by the way, bro, I'll be the shit out of you. Anyway, so he goes on the fucking camera and he's like, why would you want to leave now? Well, there's so many Australians that want to be here. Like, I, I feel as if you were disrespecting Angie by wanting to leave. And then this other dude's coming around. Tim's going, yeah, yeah, why would you? And he, he just stirs the pot. I don't think he even gave a shit. He's like, yeah, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And then this guy's like, dude, like, and they made him look like a complete dick on camera as he was leaving. But he actually humbly said, dude, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that, man? Yeah. Like, for me, like, as as a as a man, I got off easy, bro, because I just think that I just think that's uncool. I just think that's uncool. Yeah, 100%. It's uncool. Like, I think anyone that uh, is out there. In doing their own thing that's kind of like outside the box. All right. Anything in Perth that is not conformist, you know. The funny thing I find about those individuals is if you actually get to know them, they've got fascinating life stories to tell. And they all say, because they don't conform, that says something about them. And to be fair, they represent who they are. And I don't mind that. That's why I do the podcast, because I like to have full context conversations mm. where it's like, okay, I'm not looking for the attention, the fame, the likes, because I've got like a, a full-time job now, Kat, and you already know this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of to the point where I want it to be like an internet legacy type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And as an old baby boomer would kind of say to you, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I don't want to rely on what the internet is telling me. Because I mean, like 80% of the, the internet is bullshit. There's very little truth there. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes down to it, you want to hear exactly the truth from another person's mouth. Yeah, yeah. And the problem with, if I hear something firsthand from you, Kate, then everyone goes, they're a little bit cynical, they're a little bit jaded, they're really annoyed with people lying to them, so they'll ask other people. But the, the worst thing about that is not only does the internet tell you a diverted version of the truth, but your acquaintances, your friends, will tell you a different version of the truth about what makes Mason Deborah Smith or what makes Cade, what's your last name? Wilkie. Wilkie. Yeah, so, <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's yeah. very difficult to try and get the full truth in all perspective because people perceive it differently. 
And that's what I love about this domain and that's what I love about stories that are told on yeah. this podcast. And I, I believe that that is necessary to give that kind of exposure. Because for the, if there's anyone listening to this podcast that wants to get involved in reality television, send them a link. Yeah. You heard it. Yeah, yeah, you heard yeah. it. Know what you're in for. Yeah. Know what you're in for. I think as if I did the season after, I didn't watch the season after, but I had a brief experience meeting the guys that were on the season after. I would that I would have fit in like a girl up, mate. They were very more my season was very new age, very bitchy. I felt like the season after mine, I would have really got the well. Like I, I met one guy through a mate. Um, yeah, Scranton or whatever. Um, I met him through a mate. So we had mutual friends. We had a phone conversation. We're like, what's up, man? Like, and we had the best time talking. And he's like, nah, man, it was actually a really good experience. I was like, fuck, dude, that sounds sick. So I felt like as if I did that season, it would be very different. Yeah. But anyway, let's not talk about that anymore. I've just said my opinion. Dude. Dude. So let's talk about something else. Yeah. Early childhood, yep. school, high school, stripping, sales, whatever you like to talk about. All right, so we're going to go on and take um, But what I want to do, yeah. have one of these, have one of these with me. So what do you think? 15 years old. 15 years old, it's nice. nice. As I've already mentioned. Nice. A shout out to the boys at Zamani. We're just about to launch a brand new dealership, which I'm about to take over Barber Gallows. So Marnie, my boss, has just given me some very expensive whiskey and we are getting involved and we are getting into the whiskey. It is some serious whiskey. So we're going to see how our words might slur after this podcast, but it's all going to be fresh now. Shout out to the uh, Nika whiskey from Burrell. Here we go. South Africa. Oh, okay, so I was born on July 12th, 1993. My mother was a singer, a performer, theatrical, she was um, she was a performer. So she was um, very much in the limelight. She was a she was a big thing inside her. She was in the big show, she was Broadway. My father was the complete opposite. He was the alpha male, the big dog. He's a bit like a pretty shit house like this, 120 kilograms South African, what you'd expect. Um, martial artist and a bit of a scrapper. Um, and naturally as a child, um, I gravitated more towards my father. So he was very much, um, man does this, and this is what we do. And I would cut my knee and my mum would be like, my poor baby, and I'd go, whoops. And I'd go and hug my dad, and my dad, my dad always told me that um, that was uh, that was the way to go. I followed him. So we grew up in South Africa, and South Africa is a very, very dangerous place. And uh, my aunties, my cousins, um, we all got out of there as quickly as we possibly could. My father and my mother broke up. She met another man. She went to New Zealand. She took me with him. Um, that was heartbreaking for my father, but we have a very, very good relationship and we're very close. Uh, my father is one of my best friends and I love my pieces. Um, but we moved to New Zealand when I was about six years old. Mm. So I grew up in New Zealand. So yeah. Absolutely. So you were mentioning to me that your upbringing obviously oh, gives oh, it a, a bit of a chip on its shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now that's the strength of that alcohol. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's <laughs> bad alcohol sure to drink. Make sure we hit the bottle. But more importantly, what I'm trying to get to, Kate, is what was it like to be that aesthetically pleasing to the eye kind of stripper? What was stripping? Oh, like? stripping. Okay, cool. So before I start stripping, there's a backstory. Um, so when I was 17, 16, I went to a few different schools. I went to I went to a school when I was 14. I was very, very popular at one school. Very, very popular. 
Um, and I was always shy. I was always, I, I came from a really strict background. You don't have to be Sigmund Freud to realize my childhood was going to be a, a desperate grasp for, for, a, um, for attention. And um, for the first time when I was 13 to 14, I had this alter ego that I created when I was a young man. And my alter ego was Scotty, which is my middle name. So Kate Scott Wilkie. Um, before I went to that school with a uh, very masculine stepfather, it was just myself and I, you know, myself and my stepfather went to um, Brisbane and I was ruled by no feminine energy, just a, a father figure and he was very, very hard on me, which made me very tough. So I had this, I had these friends back in um, New Zealand, I could, I could never talk to girls. I always had this little, I always, I always had this, crush on a woman when I was my first crush I was I was like year two or something like that. So this beautiful girl called Shannon. And I'd like try to date girls in school and at such a young age it was so I should be out like playing basketball or doing something like that. So I had this um connection to these beautiful um, women at such a young age, you know, which is absolutely ridiculous. Not um, necessarily. I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. I think it was a lack of feminine energy from a young age, and um, I always was very ashamed of that. And I kept it to myself. I had crushes on these girls, and I'd tell these girls like, "I love you," and she'd be like, "Oh my god, fuck off!" And then she'd run away, and I'd be like, "Oh man, that hurts." Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was never, I was never cool when I grew up. Like I was, I was always um, protector of my crew. You know, yeah, I'd make a whole lot of friends. I'd get them all to be friends, and then I would be the leader of that group. Okay. Um, and then when I was about, uh, I think 11, 10 or something, maybe a bit older, I joined a basketball team because I wanted to be cool. I was athletic, but I don't give a shit about basketball. I just wanted to be cool. So no. I figured out if I was in the basketball team, then these girls might like me. Okay. And I met this dude called Scotty, um, Scott Brody, who was a he was a very cool guy at that age. Um, and my other mate Spencer, that was very cool at that age, and they took me under their wing and they taught me how to be cool in a weird way. So then when I went to Brisbane, I had this alter ego as Scotty. But my ego as Scotty was um, this kid that I was almost implementing someone that I knew. So I was like, I'm Scotty, I'm this, I'm all that. And I was imitating. Yeah, imitating. Because that's work. Yeah, and it yeah. did. And for the first time, I realized what it was like to gain some kind of female attention because my mother was very um, easy to, not easy to manipulate, but I figured I could make, I could almost make women do what I wanted to get my way. So I learned that when I was 14. And um, for the first time, I was dating the, the most popular girl in school, and then I would like, I would keep the girl away, then I'd go and just the unpopular girl in school, and I'd be between the two. And it was eye opening for me at that age to be cool. So then I went back to New Zealand and I realized my personality didn't fit that same New Zealand. Um, uh, the social norms. Yeah, because I, I, I was too outgoing. So yeah. it, was, it was a tough time. And um, I had some really hard, um, <clears throat> when I was 16, I was kicked out of my house. Um, I like basically lived on the street for week or two and I was sleeping on friends' couches and stuff. My mum was trying to get me back in the house, but at the same time she's trying to save her marriage and, and I was causing a lot of drama with that. So then I went back to school and then I left when I was uh, <laughs> the witsy. That's okay, that's okay. Strong stuff. 
Um, so I I went to go live in Australia with my auntie when I was about 18. Yeah. And my cousins were just these beautiful people, man, genetically so much more superior than myself. Like just big, big fucking guys. Like, and they would go and girls would love them and stuff like that. I was like, how can I do this? How can I get better? And I dabbled into, um, I got into the gym. I, I would, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got uh, bright green eyes. I've always been like a, not a bad looking kid, but I would, put eye contact lenses in my eyes. I would get myself tanned. I would be at the gym all the time at 18 years old to be pre-selected over other people. Then I would try and manipulate situations as to be better with these women. Of course. And um, I- Do what you need to do. Yeah. You just get your genetics, your genetics, and we carry on. Yeah, well, no, the in whole, a very primal sense, yeah. Yeah, and I think the whole thing was I was trying so hard to be something that I wasn't that I kind of lost myself. Okay, yeah. And uh, when I went back to New Zealand when I was 20, I was the guy that could get all the women. Mm. And I, it almost wasn't enough for me. Like I would go out three nights a week or four nights a week and I failed if I didn't bring a girl home with me. That was like a failure for me. It was like, you are not good enough, you're not. So my whole thing was to, to, to get these women to come home with me. And that was a, that was a huge number from a young age. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I wanted to be accepted in, in this like, weird kind of way. Um, so I went back on a holiday in, it was 2013, and my stepfather, I got so good at this, that I'll, I'll never forget this, I would, I came back being, I was a stripper before I was a stripper. What I actually used to do is I used to go to a gay bar called the court, you know the court? Just yeah, like the right court. So, oh, right sure. so I'd go there with my mate Mitch, and um, we were skinny as fuck, and, I, and I, we could take our shirts off there, and and stuff and yeah. we can take our shirts off yeah. mesomorph I think oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 so was like, he, he was an ectomorph he was a skinny bitch yeah. but like we, we would go out and we'd take our shirts off and the girls would come up to us and like what are you, what are you doing we're like oh, we're strippers we're strippers so we'd be completely lying to these girls and they would be like giving us this attention hang on and then I watched this movie called Magic Mind okay, yeah, yeah. so I watched Magic Mind and I was like I want also going to go Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking yeah, uh, Matthew McConaughey. So I was, I was yeah. watching these um, young age men. I was watching these movies. And I was like, I'm gonna dance. And I'm like, I've always got rhythm, man, from my mother's side. So I'm like, that pony song. And I learned the, I learned the whole routine. So I'd go out to New Zealand, and when I came, when I went to New Zealand when I was 20, I was like, oh yeah, no, I was a stripper in Australia. So. For the first time at that young age, people were so naive that they were like, oh, this is the, in a small town, this is the guy from Australia, he's yeah. a stripper. Okay, yeah. And it got so, I was so good um, with women at one point mm. that I would actually, I would manipulate the fuck out of it, man. It was absolutely ridiculous. So I would- You can't try to get yourself the best out of the gym. Like, to be honest with you, when you're, when you're hot, if you're a product that's selling on the market and everyone wants you, you're like, well, how can I squeeze that beautiful fiat currency? Mm. I, I know that's like a different example, but if we want to view ourselves in pure kind of economic terms, you're like, I'm hot, mm. so I'm going to make the most out of this. The juice is worth the squeeze. I'm going to squeeze a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah, oh so I think I think it um, it went to my head a little bit because that was what I identified myself as. Mm. And for people that followed me from back then, they were going, I'm you're a tool man like you I, I wasn't I was very I wasn't um, transparent I was mm. very I had this I had this whole front mm. and um, 
that was like my thing. I didn't care about the job. I didn't care about anything. And I remember, I remember one time, um, I would. I remember I was at the uh, Perth Raw show. I'll never forget this man. I was throwing splat balls. It was like I was doing. I was with my aunties and my cousins. Which she was selling windmills at the time, and I had these splat ball things that you'd throw on the ground, and you'd, like, and they'd come back to life, right? And so I was tan. I had the thing going. Muscles out. I was, I was a young boy. Yeah. And um, the store next door had the SWAT team outfits, and I was like, two together. Yeah, I was like, oh, I can be a stripper. So I put on the SWAT team outfit, and I put the balls on the ground, and I'd come back to life. And then I would like kind of like grab the ball and I'd look up and like look around, and then the girls would walk past and they'd go, "How are you?" And then pretend like they were just the ball. Um, so I met my last partner before the the, the gorgeous partner I've got now. And that was my first like proper connection where I was like, she was like, hey, you can't sleep with other girls. Yeah. Okay. Um, did I did I stay true to that? Very much no. Because at the same time where I met her, I was in a situation where I was with this group that was like, you're great, very talented, we, you're gonna be a stripper now. So I'm in this group and all these dudes are real rich. Yeah. I was like this, they're big like this. Really? Yeah, all roids, man. They're yeah, all yeah. big like this. They built like a brick shit house. Mm -hmm. And um, I was uh, like this young Justin Bieber, Zach Ever looking motherfucker. Like very different to what I look now, man. Like I was probably like 70, 75 kilograms at the time. Okay. And I would go on these these big tours with these guys. And um, there would be 200 girls, 400 girls. And we would practice these routines. And they would treat us like we were rock stars, man. It was absolutely fucking ridiculous. Mm. Like, my first show I ever did was at the Westie Writers Club, which was like basically a bikey bar. Um, and I went on stage and I did my thing and you'd, you'd take it off to the music and the girls would scream. And the one thing that kind of made me like, I couldn't believe it, man, was these girls were screaming for for something that I wasn't. And Damn. I noticed like when we do these shows, when I was on the same level as them. The love and the shun. Yeah. The love and the shun. But, it's a it's an implication of um, pack animal mentality. It was raw pack animal mentality, and what that mentality was was all of us are attracted to this one person, so we all know how to. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it was almost like looking at um, it was almost like looking at uh, it, it was like something. I never experienced before, man, because all of a sudden you could walk down the street and you go, oh, that's good. Right? But there is no way that that person can come up to you and go, can you sew on my tits? I've never experienced that before. And it was something that was so surreal for me. And I was in a relationship at that time. Mm. So while I was in that relationship, I had all this attention and being a young boy, I obviously wasn't faithful in that relationship. So I had to keep that under wraps for a very long time. And that poor girl, like I put her through the ringer, it was a Look, full disclosure for any uh, young guy, because I understand the majority of like the YouTube audience, obviously Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the other kind of channels that this would go out with, it'll differ a little bit. But to be fair, every reasonable common sense female knows this. When you're a young guy and you're not matured into an adult, you're thinking with the wrong head. I'm sorry. But I try to explain this to a lot of young women when I'm going out. 
cave. Like a lot of like 18 year olds, which is like outside the age demographic for me now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm 26, so yeah. I go for like 21, 22 year olds. So I'm just like, girls, guys, primarily when they grow up, want one thing. Mm. And if you can understand that, then that's fine. I understand that you might want something more long term, yeah. but understand that you hold all the cards at the poker table. Yeah. And to be fair, anything the guy says to you on a night out, it's completely bullshit. It's 100% bullshit. It's based on the fact that they want to directly try before they buy. Yeah, exactly. And then work out after the fact. But I think it's also, yeah. like, I think um, for a lot of guys, they get spooked if a girl sleeps with them. I think that um, it's a it's a value thing for a lot of people. I think they do get a little bit um, uncomfortable and they don't treat them with as much value as they probably should. Mm. Um, but with maturity and um, with the age that I grew up, it was it was hard for when when the uh, when the snakes came out of the cupboard. You know what I mean? It was hard for me to deal with that. And someone that you that you were very close with hits you up and goes, Mate, "You have been fucking around," and you're like. Guilty as charged, there was nothing yeah. more. Until I had that happen to me um, with her, yeah. it was such a painful experience. And I think that was. It's eye Yeah, and it was. And it kind of. I think with the weird past you did have doing that shit, I think like it kind of. It made you more aware of how much you can hurt people. Um, so I think with my age and maturity, as much as you look at these. Um, especially doing what I do now, like, because I don't have time to party. I don't have time. I've got, I've, I've played a lot of, I'm playing a lot of catch up now. And because of my horrible past of, of partying and manipulating women and, and treating them like shit and, and manipulating partners of mine and stuff. So I think that was a very, that's the, that's the 16 year old's version of what is an item. Yeah. But in reality, over the long term stretch of it is not necessarily should be glorified. Hey, it's a bit of fun whilst you're doing it. But at the same time, you gotta in retrospect go, okay, how am I doing what I'm doing? It's great. But does it work long term? Do I wanna be Mr. Right now? Or do I wanna be Mr. Right for forever? Well, yeah, I think I think like for me, like when I when I was doing the when I was doing the streaming thing, man, like it was it was so much attention and it was everything that I thought I wanted. But when when these people would throw themselves at you, when these people would just go, oh my God, can you, and I'll never forget this, a girl wanted me to sign her vagina one day. She literally pulled down her pants, she was like, can you sign my vagina? I was like, and like for, for that level of um, this, because of, I was on a poster, because I came to your town because I was the performer, they treated me like I was something that I had completely never understood and I think, being a guy that had that background before that, mm. usually this would be a new big thing that would go to their head. It never went to my head. I felt as if that made me worse with women. Mm. Because instead of me going up to a woman in a bar going, hey, I absolutely think you're beautiful, would you like to have a chat? Mm. I would never do that. I would wait for them to come to me, which which essentially made me worse with women. Yeah. And lost a lot of places, right? You're socially vetted. You know that due to your experience that you're hot, you're what's what, but to be honest with you, even if you are hot and everyone's 100% with you, mm. sleeping with you no matter what, as a girl, they're going, okay, well, the fact that the figures stack up to however many X number of partners, mm. 
what did those people see in me? And then I also like feel the same thing, Kate, because like personally, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But at the same time, they're like, okay, I as a woman go, okay, am I comparing myself to those other women? And then also you go to yourself, okay, well, am I gonna buy anything that's coming out of Mason Devereaux Smith's man? Mm. You know, am I, how do I know that I'm not gonna become a number mm. and not a genuine connection? And that's what you realize when you come out of adolescence towards maturity, mm. um, you realize that you switch gears. Mm. You 100% switch gears, you go from, I'm just going through the numbers, I'm going through that, because that's what defines me as a guy. Mm. But you realize that everyone hangs out at the finish line. Well, and that's the thing. I think, yeah. I think um, my experience with obviously I'm, I'm like, um, that kind of passes build a bit of trauma behind that, mm. um, where I feel as if women hang out for the finish line and mm. they pick the winners. And that's that that's is not that, bad. That's not a bad you're thing. You're that, always that is I'm in a very committed relationship now, but I'm constantly literally going, getting challenged every single day. Now that's not her, mm. that doesn't matter. That's not what, she's not trying to do it to make me feel shit, or, but she's genetically um, wired to constantly test my man. So one minute she's fucking flying, next minute you know she's like, test me, oh, what are we gonna do this? Are you, you're not spending enough time, you're not doing this. And that's her constantly testing me to make sure that my game as a man is fucking strong. Yeah. And that is something that I've kind of grown to understand by looking at um, psychology by Jordan Peterson, um, a lot of uh, Ben Shapiro's kind of work. And that, that's that's something that's kind of resonates with me. It's something that I've understood that with maturity comes, um, when I hit about 26 or, or something like that, I've had a hard, like, you know, I've had the hard breakup and um, which that, whatever girls that did date, nothing but the best. But for me, in my relationship now, realizing that she's a person too. I'm not perfect, yeah. but to be able to um, resonate with her and being able to gel with her and for her to understand like, mm. I understand what she's doing. And I think that might be hard for her, but also a good thing at the same time, you know? But I think um, when that stripping became into reality TV show, because I had experienced, when, when I was stripping, they picked me up, they're like, all right, cool. We want you to be on the radio show to represent strippers in New Zealand for Magic Mike 2. I was the guy. And then when I went to The Bachelorette and then when I finished The Bachelorette, it was the exact same, um, it was the exact same fluctuation with these with these women that that was in my past. Mm. So I'll never forget this. I was sitting with a, a dear friend, Michael Dominic and my cousin Jason. And the show had just aired and that big fucking episode with me. So everyone knew who the fuck I was. I walked in to a cafeteria with my mate Alex and everyone was looking at me going, this fucking TV. And I sat there and I was with Jason and I was with uh, my friend Dominic and I sat there and these girls came up and oh my God, you're the guy from the TV show. She started talking to me. And Jason is a good looking dude in better shape than me. My cousin, if not better looking than me, goes, Hi, I'm Jason. She, and she literally went, I'll never get this. Literally goes, yeah. And then carries on talking yeah, about because yeah, yeah. I high value because I'm on TV. Yeah. But these same people that are literally drowning in pussy from this fucking nah, Bachelor in Paradise or whatever the fuck it is, they're literally getting hit up all the time. Like people throwing themselves at them. I remember when we were in that same situation, we were the exact same people. Mm. So in a weird way, I'm, I kind of don't get it. I don't get it in a way, but also to be honest with you, um, for most of the people who listen to this podcast, 
I would like to believe that a lot of them are from Perth. Um, in a perfect world, and Sean, let's be real, we're not all born equal, we're not living in a perfect world, <laughs> but in a perfect dating market, so to speak, I hate to put it in sort of such superficial terms, but there will be one guy for every one male. Mm. Now, I Googled this the other day. Now, unfortunately, there are some recent statistics that kind of back this up. It's not something that someone asked on like a census data thing, the government issues. Mm. But for every, a, I want to get this right. So for every 102 males, there are 100 females. Mm. Now, that's not bad. That's, that's a pretty, pretty that's a pretty, it's a pretty good market because it's almost near parity. And I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to go, oh crap, it's not on parity, dude. It's not one girl for every one chick. That means that I can't actually shack up. But to be fair with you, man, not a lot of guys have a lot of partners. And that's not to say that having more partners is better. Because to be honest with you, some people meet their partners in high school and that's it. That's all she wrote and they're committed. I think the one thing that the baby boomers had right is they didn't have as much choice. Mm. They didn't have as much abundance of choice. The grass wasn't always green. Yeah. So I think one thing that um, millennials and you know our generation yeah, yeah, yeah. will face in the future is that you have to be satisfied with what you got. And if what you got's not working, you can't collaborate as man to woman of how to make things better then sure, mm -hmm. the grass will always be greener. Yeah, so there's a, I, I, I feel for it. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. for it as an empathetic human being. Yeah. But at the same time, you always got to be on top of your shit. Yeah, 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 100%. And I think, I think 100% you're right, man. Like, and I uh, believe that the, the naive 14-year-old um, uh, fantasy of a guy that has a nice car and has a nice house and um, fornicates with all these beautiful women. Sure. It's this weird fantasy that yeah. I think that if you grow up and in in a, in a recent period of my life, I'm looking at other people and children. Mm. And um, I mean, last night I was out of training and uh, there was a bloke there with his two twins and another kid. He's got the biggest smile on his face, his wife's working out. Yeah. And I think that if you live in a world where you don't have the opportunity to reproduce and have kids. Yeah. Don't, I don't think that's a very happy life. It's a very empty existence. Yeah, exactly. Very empty existence. I mean, like, look, some men go for the whole lifestyle, Dan Belzerian, Hugh Hefner, whatever you want. Other men are like freaking Nikola Tesla. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're using the different head, man. They're using their neural synapses to like work on ways to like improve it. But I feel like, Indirectly or directly, you're always wanting to know that there'll be someone to listen to you at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Like whether it be a wife, whether it be kids, whatever it is, I think everyone wants some form well, of validation at the end of the finish line. Yeah. I can't picture coming home at the end of a hard day and oh, sweetheart, you want to come around to my house. And then you've got to get to know that person and then you find out you don't like it. Yeah, but then you got to sleep with it, and then you got to yeah. go. All right, cool. And then she's all interested in you, and then you got to fuck her off, and then carry on to the next thing. I don't think that is a very fulfilling way to live your life in your early going on. Like in four year, three or four years time, I'm going to be thirty, man. Like I got to start thinking about who is going to be um, around, who do I love, and do I want to have kids? Do I want to have kids? You know what I mean? And I think. Like for me, going through that has kind of made me realize how much more that's something that I do want. Yeah. Does that make sense? Let's take, a, let's take a quick break. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Before we wrap up, I just want to say that 
I I love and I hate the colloquialism of every old timer telling a young person. So let's just take like an old guy in his 60s talking to an 18 year old. You've got plenty of time. You've got plenty of time. Uh, no, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> Catch up. Catch up. No, it's pretty fast. 100%. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things that you can do with your life. Um, but at the same time, one thing will lead to the next. And you can't be the master of multiple hats. You have to specialize in something. Yeah. And I, I know that personally, because like, you know, I've got a job, podcast, social media company. The only way that that works is that I delegate and then I have faith in human beings to try and execute. So what I'm really trying to talk to right now is like young people that are out there going, what do I want to do with my life? I honestly believe, don't worry about it. Try to work out exactly what you're good at, how you're valuable, and at the end of the day, we're not all born equal. You can get enough out of this life in a developed economy like we live in Australia. Anything that you want to mention before um, we conclude the conversation? Thank you so much for being on the Power Passion Podcast, Kate. Oh, love it's been an absolute privilege. What do you think of a whiskey, by the way? What do you reckon? Let's give give a little bit of a shout out to people that have put this brand together. Nico Whiskey Man. Nico Whiskey Man. Is there a link? Can we leave a link below? Uh, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So get all hyped up for that whiskey brand. Yeah, just thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate that, bro. Thank, Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Good.